0: Well, good morning. Just thinking a little bit this last week, and uh, one of the thoughts that came to mind was uh, how genealogy research is such a booming business in our world today. And it caught my attention based on what we're going to walk through in our passage this morning. So I did a little research on my own and looked up a company uh, that you're aware of. It's one of the many genealogy research companies. It's uh, Ancestry.com. And I went back and just thought, I wonder how much these companies make off of this kind of business. So the latest that I could find was 2016, but I saw that for Ancestry.com in 2016, in the first quarter, their net income was $12.4 million for an annual income of over $50 million. And that was three years ago in one of a growing number of companies. So I think we should ask the question, Why are these companies so successful? What is the draw? And as I've thought about it, I really do believe it has less to do with finding information about our relatives and more to do with finding information about ourselves. Because we look for our identity in the people to whom we belong. In other words, who they are says something, about who we are. Uh, Paul's going to address this very same topic in our passage this morning. He wants us to consider where you and I find our identity. Not in our biological bloodlines, but instead what it means to find our identity in Christ. What does that look like? And how do we find value and in in, in purpose based on the one to whom we belong? So that's what we're going to look at together this morning. Before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we open up your word this morning, we want to do so humbly, to do so carefully, trusting in your spirit to do a work in our hearts so that we can see the truths that you intend for our lives. Lord, I pray that you speak to each of us, myself included, and that you allow the power of your word to transform our hearts so that we might live differently as your people. And so, Father, we commit this time to you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you would turn to Galatians chapter 3, and let's pick up where we left off in verse 26. If you'll read there with me, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Paul says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. Now last week we talked about how Paul was talking about this will That establishes an inheritance. And how he confirmed that once a will has been ratified, it cannot be modified by another party. And he used that reality as an illustration for the covenant promise that God made with Abraham. A promise that established an inheritance, which is what a will does. And a promise that could not be influenced by something that came 430 years later in the form of a law once it had been ratified by god it could not be modified by the law a promise that was fulfilled ultimately through one single descendant we learned that to be jesus christ and we talked about how that means the promise therefore only applies to us when we are in some way connected to christ In our passage this morning, Paul explains exactly how that happens. He says there in verse 26, You are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the term sons of God is important, especially when you consider the fact that that Paul is speaking to a mixed audience of both males and females. But sons of God is a particular term that Paul is using because it is attached to the language of an inheritance. In that culture, the firstborn son was the one who was the rightful heir to the inheritance of that family. But in verse 26, it says, you were all, everyone who believes in Christ is sons of God. And then in verse 27, he explains how that's possible by using the example of baptism. But it's important to understand as we enter into this example of baptism, we understand for what it represents. And not for what it accomplishes. Paul describes it as being clothed with Christ. I love that description. And it makes me think of a passage in Isaiah. I don't know that this is what Paul was referring to necessarily. But it sure comes to mind when I hear that phrase in Galatians. You can just write it down. It is Isaiah 61 verse 10. Listen to what it says. It says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For here it is. He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? I, I think if you keep that imagery of inheritance in mind, you can picture in your mind's eye this loving father wrapping his child in a garment of salvation. Covering him in this robe of righteousness. That's what it means to be clothed in Christ because the scripture tells us that we have been wrapped in his robe of righteousness. Baptism is where we identify ourselves with Christ. It's where we put our faith on display publicly. And if we're identified with Christ, we are no longer known by our ethnicity, by our social status, even by our gender. That's why it goes on and says there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. We become a part of a new humanity, a family of God, where we find our unity based on a shared identity in Christ which doesn't necessarily mean that these distinctions no longer apply because the Bible's clear God made us male and female equal in value distinct in role tells us that there will be people from every tribe and every nation and we know that within those tribes and nations across the world there's all kinds of social structures but here's the difference the world uses those distinctions to communicate Value and worth, which is precisely, listen to this, it is precisely why the Judaizers are trying to convince the Galatian Christians to become Jewish Christians. Because one is preferred over the other. One is superior to the other. They would go on to say it's better to be a free man than a slave. It is better to be, and at least in that culture, to have the, the rights and privileges of a male than it is to have the rights and privileges of a, of a female. But that's not how it works in God's economy. Because we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all members of God's family. We are all recipients of God's grace. We share equally in the inheritance of God according to His promise. We are completely forgiven. We are eternally secure. We are sons and daughters of a sovereign God. You see the difference? The distinctions in the world that equate value and worth compared to the equality that we have of a shared identity in Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to help us understand. We find our identity based on the one to whom we belong. Look at how he goes on in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were under the elemental, uh, so also were we, children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of this world. Paul's already established how that inheritance is made available to us as we are united to Christ by faith. But now he's talking about how the inheritance works when it applies to a minor, to a child, to someone who hasn't come of age. Because even though they might be a rightful heir, they cannot possess the inheritance. And in that sense, Paul says you're really no different than a slave. Instead of enjoying an inheritance, they live under the the bondage of what he calls guardians and managers. Now, when I think of a guardian, I think of somebody who's responsible for setting boundaries. When I think of a manager, I think of someone who is responsible for making decisions. And as a minor, you are responsible to submit to the authority of the guardians and managers until the date that is set by the Father. Paul is saying... That's who we are apart from Christ. We're technically slaves in bondage to what Paul identifies as the elemental things of this world. Now, that phrase has created a lot of discussion and debate uh, over the years as to what exactly does Paul mean here. I have a very simple mind, so I look at this simplistically. When I think elemental, I think elementary. I think about the basics of life, the, the ABCs, if you will. The fundamentals. In fact, if you go back to kindergarten, it's not a stretch to imagine how your teacher was a guardian and a manager, right? How their job was to make sure all the chicks stayed in the nest. And if you went on the playground, you saw them watching like a hawk to make sure none of those little kids slipped away out of their sight. And that classroom was basically controlled chaos, it's a little bit like herding cats, right? They were a guardian and a manager. And if you remember, the goal of, of, of education in elementary school was not a discussion-oriented class. Instead, the teacher disseminated information to the student that they needed to know. Basic information that would form the foundation for higher learning. But in and of itself, it was not adequate to help them navigate life on their own. After all, what was the best part of kindergarten education? I can think of three things. Recess, lunchtime, nap time. Right? One of those three. Paul told the Corinthians, look, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child. And the truth of the matter is, when you or I were a child, the same thing was true for us. As a child, you and I lived in a world where everything centered around us. We were enslaved by selfish desires. Immature thinking. Irrational behavior, which is precisely why you don't give an inheritance to a child instead what do you do you protect them from themselves you provide guardians and managers until the time is right what was true for them is true for us look at how he continues in verse four but when the fullness of time came in other words when the time was right god sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. I'm going to pause there because I think this may be one of the best statements in the Bible explaining the core truths of the gospel message. It begins by saying, when the fullness of time came. So, as I said, our Heavenly Father knew when the time was right. A day that was established In eternity past, when He would send forth His Son. Now, for Jesus to be sent from God, it means He has to have been present with God. In other words, Jesus was sent from a heavenly home. Before He was born of a woman, He preexisted in the undivided fellowship of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was fully God before he ever became fully man. But when the time was right, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, which is very important because Paul goes on and explains he had to be born under the law in order to redeem us from the law. Remember, the law is what holds us in bondage to our sin. It becomes a curse of condemnation for all who fall short, which is every single one of us. Jesus was born under the law so that he could take the curse of the law upon himself. Remember, that's what he's already written earlier in in chapter 3 and in chapter 2, where he says that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by taking the curse upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin, listen to this, so that he might wrap us in the robe of his righteousness and clothe us in the garment of his salvation. Mm. That's the inheritance. Righteousness of God given to us on the basis of our faith in Jesus Christ. It is righteousness that restores a relationship That was destroyed by sin. Because once that barrier of sin is removed. Then we are invited to the table where families gather. That's where we are adopted as sons as Paul says. And remember adopted as sons is language of inheritance. Our adoption is what qualifies us to receive what was once off limits from us. Not because we proved ourselves to be worthy. We talked about that in communion. But instead because we have been made worthy through faith in Christ alone. In in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about it as not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. He says it's a righteousness from God that comes through the basis of faith in Christ alone. Now look how he continues in verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I love, love, love this verse because it is something that we can relate to in our home. We understand the blessing of adoption. We understand the miracle of God creating a family. and That's what Paul is describing here. It he says, if you have put your faith in Christ, then you have been adopted into the family of God as a child of God, as a son and daughter of the king. So if anyone ever asks you, hey, are, are you adopted? You can tell them, uh, in fact, yes, I am. I'm a child of the king, adopted by God. And I want you to notice the the role of the Spirit in this miraculous work of God. It says that in the same way that God sent forth His Son to rescue and redeem, it goes on and says that He has sent forth His Spirit to tell us to whom we belong. Listen to how Paul explains it to the Romans. Chapter 8, verse 15. Listen very carefully. He says, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. See, the spirit of God is the voice of God that speaks in our heart and says, you belong to me. It's the assurance that we are a child of God, that he is our father, that we're no longer slaves to fear as we once were, because he said, again, meaning there was a past time when we were a slave to fear, the fear of disappointment, the fear of failure, the fear of being disqualified, the fear of not being enough, all the fears that make us inadequate in the eyes of God. And he says, that's no longer possible Because you have been made eternally adequate by the completely sufficient work of Christ. As Hebrews tells us, one sacrifice for all sin, for all time, for all who believe. That's what he accomplished. So that we could be adopted as a child of God. Protected by the grace of God. So that no one could snatch us out of his hand. See, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul tells the Ephesians that you were sealed with the Spirit. Just like he says here in our passage in Galatians, you were sealed with the Spirit. And he goes on in Ephesians says, as a pledge of the inheritance. In other words, that seal of the Spirit is a promise of God that says, you are eternally secure, not based on your performance, but based on my promise. You are belong to me now this is where we circle back around to where we began when we talked about finding our identity in the one to whom we belong we realize that in the world today this idea of identity is a very hot topic and very often that discussion is based on finding your identity on things you achieve or things you choose Things you achieve or things you choose. What you achieve by your income, by your grades, by your career that you might choose, the marital status that you might choose, the gender that you might choose. But all these things are precarious at best because what if I lose my job? Do I lose my identity if that's where I found my identity? Am I less valuable if somehow my grades don't measure up to the person sitting next to me? The passage in Galatians is important because it tells us that our identity is not something that we choose or achieve, but instead it's something that we receive. This is huge because this is the core truth for many of the debates that exist in our world today. Our identity is not something that we choose or achieve. It is something that we receive. He says in that passage that we might receive, there's the word, the adoption as sons. What this means is that you didn't find God. God found you. And you only cried out to him because he called out to you. He chose you. He redeemed you. As the song says, he sought you and bought you with his redeeming blood. We find our identity in the one to whom we belong. And there is no greater place of value and worth and purpose than knowing that you belong to God. And there is great freedom in knowing that. That you don't have to prove yourselves to be made worthy to be chosen by God. That in fact, He's invited you to trust in Him because of having been made worthy by Him through Christ. That when we are identified with Christ, He wraps us in His robe of righteousness and covers us with the garment of salvation that He's made possible for us as a son, as a daughter of a sovereign God. Terry shared a quote with me recently by a guy named uh, James Brian Smith. I want to give him credit, but the truth of the matter is I really don't know who he is. But I listened to what she said in the context of what was being talked about in this podcast she was listening to. And I want to share the quote that he used to describe his identity in Christ. And I believe he's on the money. Listen to this. He says, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong, unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. Isn't that beautiful? Let me say it again. I am the one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong, unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. We find our identity in the one to whom we belong. And there is no greater place of value and worth and dignity and significance than in finding our identity in Christ. Because we belong to God, having been adopted into the family of God through faith. I am the one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble. And neither am I. And if you are a child of God, neither are you. You can rest in the security of his promise and not be enslaved by your performance to add up to be adequate in any way. You don't have to be worthy. You have been made worthy. And sink your teeth deep into that truth. Amen. If you would, please stand as I close this in prayer. Father, thank you for making your truth relevant to our everyday lives. It'd be so easy to look at letters in the Bible like the letter to the Galatians and and somehow rationalize in our mind, well, it really does not apply to us because we don't have those kinds of influences from those kinds of people. But may we just be reminded this morning that the enemy behind their deception is still alive and well trying to accomplish the same in our lives today. He wants our sin to be a barrier to your grace. He wants us to be enslaved by a sense of inadequacy, by a sense of falling short, by a sense of essentially being unredeemable. But you are announcing the truth to us this morning that if we have put our faith and trust in Christ, that we have been adopted as a child of God, not because we are worthy, but because you have made us worthy through faith in Christ alone, that you have wrapped us In a robe of righteousness, you have covered us with a garment of salvation. And that we are eternally secure in your promise, not in our performance. So, Father, may we live a life that reflects the truth of your word. May we rejoice in our salvation. May we gladly share the good news. May we strive in life to live in the freedom of christ knowing that we don't have to be perfect in order to be successful that your grace is sufficient that our power is perfected in our weakness which means even in our inadequacy you are perfect you're faithful even when we are not so lord may we live out those truths in our everyday life according to the truth of your word and your promise is made to us. It's in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Have a great day.